Welcome to the Tech Policy Podcast. I'm Evan Schwarzdraber. On today's show, driverless cars. This is a particularly hot topic these days as driverless Ubers hit the streets in Pittsburgh and as testing of this new potentially life-saving technology goes on in places like California and Nevada. Recently, uh, NHTSA, the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration, put out guidelines, regulatory guidelines, on how driverless cars should operate. Joining me to discuss this is Mark Scribner, research fellow at the Competitive Enterprise Institute, which put out an article responding to the Obama administration's uh, proposed uh, rules on driverless cars. Mark, thanks for joining the show. Hi, thank you for having me. So I've been reading some of the press around this issue, and a lot of it is favorable. It says that this is an example of government regulating in a smart way, recognizing the potentially life-saving value of driverless cars, and allowing the freedom to innovate while protecting consumers. Uh, There's been a lot of cheerleading. Uh, Are you coming here with sour grapes, or what do you think about these rules? I mean, is this something to celebrate or something to be skeptical about? I, I think, by and large, the the guidance document fills a uh, fills a, a void, and and positively so, um, where the, where uh, the feds hadn't acted, and states were really questioning of how they were going to attempt to implement state level policies. However, that being said, a lot of the a lot of the positive press doesn't get into the nitty gritty. Uh, and there are some things that are that are fairly troubling that, uh, that you know, we'd want the agency to address. Uh, and certainly we'd want to have Congress exercise its, its oversight powers. So what do you see as the biggest, so let's start with the good news, right? Let's give credit where credit is due, you know, other than the fact that they've now recognized this industry and kind of signaled to states that we don't want to have 50 different standards and some crazy hodgepodge of rules. Do you see any other benefits before we tear this apart? <laughs> well, I think one of the biggest benefits, well, one benefit, which is may seem insignificant, but I think is, is, has been, uh, uh, under uh, sort of underestimated the sort of the power of this is that the fact that NHTSA actually ditched its previous levels of automation definitions, which came uh, out in its 2013 preliminary statement of policy uh, and adopted the uh, Society of Automotive Engineers uh, levels of automation. Uh, one issue that we've been seeing is that you had engineers talking about various levels of automation, whether or not this is fully automated, whether or not this is uh, a lower level partially automated, say like uh, uh, Tesla's autopilot. And you had lawmakers, regulators, insurers wondering what the hell anyone was talking about. Um, so I think the fact that NHTSA recognized that it trying to reinvent the wheel when the engineering community had already gone in a direction and really all of the the, the policy research community had already gone in one direction. Uh, that was a smart thing to do. Uh, another another good thing that NHTSA did with this uh, uh, guidance document was say very clearly that the states should not, not only not develop this patchwork, but the states have no business uh, operating an agency that performs um, uh uh, vehicle safety performance functions. And, so, that, and know, that might be counterintuitive uh, to people in the free market community. I mean, there's this principle of subsidiarity that is often heralded as, you know, we want regulation or we want government power to be as responsive to the people as possible. But I've often said that tech policy is kind of a different animal and you don't necessarily want local city councils making rules about driverless cars. You don't necessarily even want state governments making rules about driverless cars. And even if the guy who occupies the White House isn't exactly the most free market person ever, is it fair to say that driverless car policy should be a federal issue? 
Uh, as far as safety performance standards, uh, yes, that is a- absolutely. I mean, you're talking about about uh, uh, regulatory decisions that impact the fundamental design of automobiles. We're talking about a national market. We would want, you know, we had problems with um, with California's tailpipe emission standards, um, which basically forced automakers, forced the rest of the country. Um, to re-engineer their vehicles to meet this one state standards because think, they are they have so many people there and everyone in California drives so it was a large enough market that one state set rules for the other forty nine just because the state kind of had market power so to speak uh, absolutely and that's what you would have so if you would talk about if you would talk about delegating this authority to the states which I think would be a really bad idea you would not be having. Um, you would not be having the the major three automakers and some of the smaller ones and then the foreign automakers all coming together uh, and saying, well, we're going to build a spec in each state. That isn't what they would do. They would look at the biggest market. They would look at whatever California had done most likely. uh, And that is what they would say we are selling uh, uh, throughout the country. Other states, you can fall in line or otherwise, you know, your citizens are going to have to drive across state lines to buy their cars. So at least NHTSA might be sending a signal to California, uh, don't go too crazy because uh, we, we have some federal rules in mind and we don't want you to set the policy for the whole country. <laughs> right. With, without saying without saying the name of California, that is exactly what NHTSA was doing because <laughs> California had, uh, back in 2012, enacted uh, an automated vehicle statute uh, and the resulting regulations that have come out of that through the, uh, the California uh, Department of Motor Vehicles um, have been atrocious, um, you know, and not to just completely blame the California DMV um, uh, because it was, in fact, a, a, an incredibly poorly written uh, bill. Uh, and no one really uh, saw uh, what, what that was going to happen. But fundamentally, you had the California legislature believe that the DMV was capable of being a mini NHTSA, uh, and that was, that was not the case. So let's get to some of the actual policies and uh, whether they're good or bad. I mean, we've, the good news is that they're recognizing the industry. They're saying that it's good and that it will eventually save lives. But what are the actual policies? Let's start with performance guidance for automated vehicles. I mean, what what is NHTSA recommending? So what they're recommending, there's, there's basically a, a 15 set here. Uh, and it talks about all sorts of things uh, that NHTSA thinks the uh, the developers ought to consider these range from you know uh, rel- things you'd think of uh, as as NHTSA, uh, traditionally being responsible for, namely uh, um, uh, crash worthiness. Uh, but they also talk about things that NHTSA's really never looked into before: uh, the operating domain of these vehicles. When is it appropriate? Um, uh, in what kind of roadway conditions is it appropriate to operate these vehicles on uh, throughout the various levels of automation? What kind of weather conditions? Things like that. Um, there's also cy- they they want the developers to consider uh, privacy and cybersecurity, which is usually not uh, cybersecurity has become a new thing for NHTSA, but privacy generally is not something that uh, is is brought up in. Uh, auto safety regulation discussions. Um, so there's a, you know, there's a number of new things um, that uh, NHTSA is basically saying, developers, you should go ahead and look at this. The good news is, is the developers are already doing this. So what, what you know, th- these, 15, uh, th- these 15 sort of uh, categories um, are, are, are basically, the, you know, these were heavily influenced by the way that the development had already been taking place and things that developers had already been doing. So the, the, the standard, the, the, or the, rather the guidelines uh, themselves 
are not problematic, um, but there are certain things of how NHTSA is is attempting to um, to push these supposedly uh, non-binding and voluntary guidelines out that should uh, that should concern uh, folks in the in the development world uh, and also members of Congress. And then you've got jurisdictional problems. I mean, we've we've talked on this show before about how multiple regulators being the cop on the beat can add to confusion. It could make for uneven standards. I mean, if you look at like the FCC's privacy rulemaking, that will create a separate standard for broadband privacy as opposed to you know the standards that Google has to you know adhere to. And you know, you mentioned that. An agency that is not normally involved in cybersecurity and privacy, but because vehicles are now connected. I mean, we did a show called The Internet of Cars a couple of weeks ago talking about how cars, you know, they come with a 4G LTE connection now sometimes. They've got other things that make them a connected device. Is there a danger that hysteria over things like cybersecurity and privacy could impede progress that could save lives? I mean, we're talking about driverless cars being poised to get rid of 94% of vehicle accidents, which are caused by human error. Yet there are probably a lot of groups that are going to say, well, first you got to figure out the privacy angle, got to make sure everyone's privacy is protected, or you got to guarantee cybersecurity before you go forward in this. And is there a danger that those thorny issues, which are ever evolving and complicated and not easy to solve, will hold up this technology because NHTSA has hinted that it wants to deal in this space? I'm actually less worried about NHTSA on those issues, and I'm more worried about the FCC. Um, you know, uh, recently over th- there's an ongoing issue over dedicated short-range re- communications, which is a, a protocol that, that NHTSA wants to mandate for vehicle-to-vehicle communications purposes. Which and that, is a, that's a necessary component of a driverless car future would be that the, the vehicles on the road could communicate with one another. Um, um, most likely, yeah. I mean, there's you can imagine a, a world in which they didn't, but most likely, and uh, we, we're going to have uh, connected vehicles, whether it's to other vehicles or to infrastructure or to both. Right. Um, but you know, recently, recently, um, public knowledge and uh, I think uh, OTI and maybe a couple other groups signed sent this petition to the FCC asking them to basically shut down progress on the V to V DSRC thing, which there's been a spectrum battle over there for the past few years, um, until they develop um, automotive cybersecurity and privacy standards. And to me, it is ludicrous that you would have the FCC essentially making uh, making automotive safety decisions, an area in which they have no expertise, at least you could say for NHTSA, if they're going to consider um privacy and cybersecurity issues, I, I don't think that they, they really should, but at least they would have safety in mind. Um, whereas, you know, some of these groups, their motivations may be they don't like the idea of using um, of using this spectrum band for non-safety purposes, for commercial purposes. So therefore, they're going to have the FCC muck with federal auto safety regulation. I think that's completely absurd, um, not just from a just from a kind of a, a, a policy um, a standpoint, but also from just a safety standpoint. Why on earth would you want to have the FCC getting involved in auto safety policy? Yeah, I will note that uh, Tech Freedom declined to sign on to that letter for much the same reason. We are, we are concerned at any position that says something like privacy, which is a very complicated issue with a lot of layers that somehow that needs to be solved 
whatever that means before we can make progress with driverless cars. I mean, just we need to be more a little bit more comfortable with the idea that there's going to be trial and error. There will be some mistakes. Maybe there's going to be an instance where privacy is not 100% protected, but maybe it's better to take these things on a case-by-case basis rather than a bright line rule saying, stop this industry <laughs> until it figures out this thing. Now, um, so we, we dealt with the performance guidance. Uh, number two was the state policy. We already talked about that a little bit earlier about you know, just kind of signaling to states that this is not your area. And if it is going to be your area, you should make sure that your policy tracks closely with ours so that when we eventually make rules, they work. But something we talked about before the show that you're particularly concerned about is kind of this catch-all, right? I mean, there's one of the issues that came out even in the press coverage of this is that there's, there's this idea that you need to announce to the government when you're about to make something new. And if the regulations don't cover it, then they're just going to kind of make it up. I mean, what do you see as the problem with these, quote, modern regulatory tools, this idea that NHTSA has to be flexible to keep up with new products? Right. So they make a number of recommendations uh, in, in that section of the guidance. Um, but the two that, that bother me most are, are moving in the direction, um, uh, moving in the direction of the European Union, but actually uh, moving, moving in a even beyond that and in, in, into a worse setting. What NHTSA was contemplating there was, was uh, uh, pre-market approval. And uh, traditionally, since, since the Vehicle Safety Act of 1966, um, how auto safety works in the United States is a manufacturer, uh, they build to federal motor vehicle safety standards, which are administered and enforced by NHTSA, but they do self-certification. So basically all they're saying is it's a promise that we're meeting these guidelines. And then NHTSA does uh, some random selections, follows up, selects a vehicle um, and tests some of those, but they don't test all of them. What pre-market approval would do, it would require that every vehicle off of a production uh, uh, line, every one unit from each, um, would need to be tested by government regulators. Um, so a manufacturer would have to turn over a vehicle that comes off the assembly line, hand it over, and then wait before it can offer that to uh, consumers. Um, you know, so th- this is the opposite of permissionless innovation. This is I want to innovate, but I have to wait for approval. Correct, and you know, and, and as bad as the the uh, federal you know federal auto safety regulatory regime is is today, and I think it adds excessive delays um, uh, and and raises costs. Um, but at least uh, uh, developers, manufacturers, once they're satisfied that their vehicle is, is safe enough to operate on, on public roads, they're allowed to offer that to consumers, um, you know, and they get it tested. They, they hire firms um, to, do, uh, to do third-party testing. They have people within, uh, within their companies um, who, who make sure that they're meeting the federal motor vehicle safety standards. Um, but they don't need to, uh, after, you know, they would do that anyway. And then, but what NHTSA is basically saying is, well, once you do that, well, you want, you need to send us a car and we're going to look at it again. Um, and that's, I think a problem, you know, people have said in the past that, that, you know, the, the fact that we don't have pre-market approval or type approval as, as, as it's called in, uh, in Europe, uh, and Japan that uh, you know we're basically limiting the U.S. export market because then you have to send those vehicles over. Even after we get them tested uh, in the United States, we need to send those vehicles over to to Europe or wherever, um, and they have to go through a battery of testing uh, to gain access to those markets. Um, but you know, the, on the flip side, you know, if we were to adopt this pre-market approval uh, uh, standard in the U.S., 
we would basically be denying U.S. consumers, and the United States is the largest vehicle market in the world, um, access to these vehicles uh, as soon as possible. So you're talking about lives saved on American roads then um, that we'd be denying ourselves um, uh, by, by, by moving in the direction of, of Europe and, uh, and Japan. Which and it's worth noting that NHTSA's mission is to save lives and that the purpose of these guidelines, whether you like them or not, is to promote an industry that will eventually save lives. So we need to be careful when we look at, at guidelines from an, from an institution that, that claims that that's its mission. We, we, need, we need to be careful to make sure that that's actually going to foster that mission. And if, as you say, that one of the effects of these guidelines is that we're going to have slower release of self-driving cars, it's going to cost more to deploy them, and it, there's this precautionary principle is that not necess- that might not necessarily be in accordance with the mission, which is to save lives. Uh, absolutely. Um, and, you know, and this is something I think Nick Nitsa should look at, at uh, or should take very seriously. I think this is something that Congress should look at. Um, but the good news is, is that right now Nitsa is not authorized to do pre-market approval. They would have to go to Congress, uh, ask for that authority and receive that authority. And I don't think Congress is, is right now um, going to consider a proposal that basically turns 50 years of uh, U.S. auto safety regulation on its head. Um, and does something that you know we've long recognized is inferior, or, or, or does something that we've long recognized is inferior to what we've been doing. You know, I think the real problem is is that Europe and Japan have pre-market approval authority. It's not that the United States doesn't. So I, I don't think we need to harmonize, um, you know, up to their more onerous level of regulation. I think you know, if anything, they should consider moving away from pre-market approval and looking towards self-certification and, and other tools um, that could allow these these vehicles uh, to come to market sooner. Yeah, maybe that's a competitive advantage for the American market that we don't have this thing. So why in the world would we just relinquish this competitive advantage by instituting the regime they have in, in Japan or the EU if we can outcompete them because we have a more favorable environment. Now, uh, I just want to ask you, these are guidelines. They're not rules. So is there any, I mean, they made a big point about saying, oh, these are just guidelines. It's, you know, blah, blah, blah. Is there any reason to be worried or is there any reason to think that these won't eventually become rules? I mean, is the distinction between guidelines and rules and even a real distinction at all? Well, I think it depends on whether or not guidelines are, are used as sort of a backdoor, um, uh, you know, rulemaking. But um, here, there are some troubling aspects. Well, you know, one which isn't particularly surprising is that they're saying that the safety assessments that they're recommending developers uh, conduct now uh, and submit that documentation to NHTSA, um, that they are likely going to mandate those those reporting requirements in the future. Not particularly surprising, uh, not ideal, but not also not the worst thing in the world. What I find more troubling, and actually really troubling, is that uh, you know they go on and on about how all of these standards are are voluntary, that the, the this guidance document is non-binding, but then in their uh, they basically say. Uh, state agencies, as whoever the lead agency uh, you pick in your state to to administer this, as you in the future start administering testing permits and deployment permits for these vehicles, bake our supposedly non-binding guidance into that requirement. So in effect, what NHTSA is telling states to do 
is to mandate our non-binding guidance. which Asking I, the states to do their work for them. Exactly. I mean, because NHTSA basically, they're talking out of both sides of their mouths. They're, in one breath, they're saying, you know, we are going to, uh, you know, this is only, this is non-binding. Uh, you know, this is purely a guidance document. And then, you know, uh, a few paragraphs later, they're talking about, hey, states, mandate our guidance uh, uh, and require all, um, all developers in your state uh, who are seeking permission to operate from you uh, to comply with our our non-binding standards. So I think that's something that Congress should be very troubled about because, you know, Congress has brought this up before about NHTSA perhaps moving too fast, perhaps moving too slow. But what a federal agency should not be doing is is really, I think, being dishonest and saying that, you know, this is a, this is a guidance document while also maybe uh, attempting to twist some arms uh, w- with different government agencies to sort of do their dirty work for them. So where do you see this going? I mean, to wrap up the show, we've got the guidelines out. Certainly the business community, states, uh, Congress, there there might be some response or no response. I mean, where do you see this going in the next few months? I mean, of course, we've got an election year. As you suggested earlier, it's unlikely that Congress is going to give them the authority to do pre-market approval. But your prediction on the effect of this announcement? Well, you know, NHTSA, to its credit, has opened up this this guidance document to public comment. So in uh, in two months, comments are going to be due on that. Um, and uh, NHTSA has said uh, repeatedly that they plan to regularly update this document. So maybe they will take some of these criticisms into account and, and draft uh, better guidance in the future. Who knows? Stranger things have happened. But also, I do expect uh, congressional oversight in the in the new year. Uh, to begin, uh, we've had statements from uh, the Senate Commerce Committee and the House Transportation and Infrastructure Committee indicating uh, that they want to take a look at what NHTSA is doing. So I think uh, in the near term, that's what we can expect, um, more uh, more uh, avenues for uh commenting to regulators and uh, more meetings. Uh, well, uh, listeners, look out for those comments. I mean, it sounds like the type of proceeding that uh, my organization, Tech Freedom, and yours, the Competitive Enterprise Institute, might have something to say. I mean, uh, that's one of the rare opportunities we have to comment on regulations before they uh, take effect. So we'll be tracking this issue and perhaps do a follow-up episode. Uh, but that's it for today. My guest has been Mark Scribner, Research Fellow at the Competitive Enterprise Institute. Mark, thanks for joining the show. Thanks for having me. Check out his article on the CEI website. We link to it in the show notes for today. Follow us on Twitter and Facebook at Tech Freedom. Uh, send us an email at mediatechfreedom.org. Let us know what you think of the show. Feel free to pitch topics or guests. Find this podcast in the iTunes store where you can leave us a review because it will help others find the show. Thanks for listening. The Tech Policy Podcast is produced and distributed by Tech Freedom, a nonpartisan nonprofit think tank in Washington, D.C. To learn more about our work, make a tax-deductible donation, or find other episodes, find us online at techfreedom.org.